0: With the current viral global pandemic, medicine is being done in a new way, especially in the context of social distancing and mass quarantine. The American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists has endorsed telemedicine to improve maternal morbidity and mortality and encourages OBGYNs to adopt these technologies. ACOG writes that telehealth opportunities, quote, enhance, not replace, the current standard of care, end quote. This podcast will outline how telemedicine is currently being used in obstetrical care, how it can expand, and it will discuss barriers to implementation. Currently, the vast majority of prenatal care in the U.S. happens in person, but there are some medical centers who have begun to implement telemedicine in their prenatal care, and this is a big hot topic now, especially in the like of the global viral pandemic. Research shows comparable pregnancy outcomes between telemedicine and traditional care groups, with the caveat that in one program, patients using virtual visits did have a higher incidence of preeclampsia than in the traditional care. Nonetheless, the value of telemedicine is seen overall. Telemedicine has also saved patients time and potentially lowered visit-related costs to the patient. A broad range of pregnancy-related services can be offered via telemedicine. Telemedicine has been used for innovative approaches to prenatal and postpartum care, at-home monitoring for conditions like diabetes and hypertension, and for phone or video consultation with specialists like SMFM physicians or high-risk obstetricians, lactation consultants, and even mental health care providers. One of the attractive features of telemedicine is that it allows patients a reduced need to travel. Traditional prenatal care models recommend upwards of 14 in-person visits throughout the pregnancy. This requires significant travel time and time away from work or family responsibilities. But only some prenatal visits truly require in-person care, like those for ultrasound, lab testing, or vaccinations. Many visits are to provide patient education, answer questions, and monitor maternal and fetal vitals, measurements that could be taken at home if given the supplies and the proper instruction. Research suggests that fewer prenatal visits are indeed safe for low-risk pregnancies in the general population. Remember, we're talking about low-risk pregnancies for this podcast. In response, some medical centers have started to use telemedicine virtual visits via video conferencing or phone to replace some of these in-person traditional visits. Patients are given instructions and supplies to monitor blood pressure, weight, fetal heart rate, and fundal height at home. These programs allow for patients to maintain continuity of care with their OB providers while partaking in parts of their care from home or from another convenient location. This is also a benefit for those who live in remote locations. This can be especially helpful for patients who have to travel a long distance to care or who have barriers to taking time off from work or from regular family responsibilities. One example of an effective telemedicine prenatal program is out of the Mayo Clinic called the OB-NEST telemedicine program for low-risk pregnancies. Here are the methods of the OB-NEST Mayo Clinic prenatal program. This is a combination of in-person visits and telemedicine. There are 8 in-person visits with an OB or midwife, 6 phone or online visits with a nurse, which is one of the proposed schemes. In-home monitoring occurs for weight, blood pressure, fundal height, and the fetal heartbeat. There's also access to text-based communication with the care team. This has been evaluated for effectiveness. This program included 300 women randomized to OB nest versus traditional care, and it showed comparable maternal and fetal clinical outcomes. It also showed lower rates of reported pregnancy-related stress in the telemedicine group. There was also higher patient satisfaction in the OB Nest telemedicine cohort with no difference in perceived quality of care. Lastly, the OB Nest allowed for increased confidence and sense of patient control and greater participation in overall pregnancy care. All right, we come back. Let's take a look at just what this home monitoring program looks like. Although most data has focused on low-risk pregnancies, high-risk pregnancies can also benefit from telemedicine, particularly through the use of at-home monitoring for blood pressure and for diabetes control, which is then transmitted to their providers. There is data on high-risk pregnancies, although most of the evidence has focused on low-risk pregnancy groups. As previously stated, studies do show that patients value at-home monitoring as it allows for active participation in their care and promotes self-efficacy. For patients with diabetes, at-home monitoring of blood sugar may allow for fewer visits to diabetes specialists and improved health-related quality of life. A review of seven studies found the use of telemedicine for blood sugar monitoring as an effective standard care in achieving glucose control in pregnancy. Multiple studies of women with gestational diabetes showed similar pregnancy outcomes between telemedicine and traditional care. Now, this can be telemedicine with their OB provider, a high-risk OB provider, or even with an endocrinologist. Hypertension management normally requires frequent in-person checks. With telemedicine, patients may monitor their blood pressure at home with results sent to their provider who can decide if they need in-person further evaluation. Two studies of women with hypertension in pregnancy, both prenatal and postpartum, found at-home blood pressure measurements were feasible in detecting spikes in blood pressure and acceptable to most patients, but more research is warranted to compare blood pressure control and pregnancy outcomes between telemedicine and traditional in-person models. It also needs a way to assess blood pressure spikes and a way to get that to the providers quickly, whether this is done by text alerts or direct email notification still varies based on the specific telemedicine program. Telemedicine has also been proven to increase communication with providers, which is kind of ironic when you consider that in-person visits are face-to-face. Telemedicine has been shown to facilitate direct communication with providers via online platforms or web-based apps. For example, participants in the Mayo Clinic telemedicine program can message nurses and peers through an online platform. Similarly, on DueDate Plus, a free mobile app created by Wyoming Medicaid patients can directly access nursing support. This app also includes pregnancy education, appointment reminders, and information about Medicaid benefits and providers. Again, this is called Due Date Plus. As a quick disclosure, this podcast may name several branded products or platforms, but there's no financial disclosures to report. A study of 85 app users compared to over 5,000 non-users found app use was associated with a lower risk of delivering a low birth weight infant and a higher likelihood of completing prenatal care appointments. So that's an interesting find. Next, let's talk about postpartum visits and lactation support. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Postpartum care is key to addressing not only the physical well-being of the patient after delivery, but also their emotional and social well-being. Breastfeeding concerns, contraceptive needs, and birth spacing can also be addressed by telemedicine. However, the postpartum period is often overlooked. Traditionally, patients wait six weeks before their postpartum visit, even though problems may arise before then. Remember that ACOG now recommends contact with the patient within three weeks of delivery, but up to 40% of women do not attend any postpartum visit at all. Remember that ACOG has now defined the first three months of the postpartum period as the fourth trimester. Use of telemedicine in postpartum care could help address this through the use of app-based support, enhanced phone or text communication with providers, and at-home blood pressure monitoring. Regarding lactation support, that is yet another avenue where telemedicine can help. Several telemedicine platforms allow individuals with breastfeeding difficulties to access lactation consultants from their home or a nearby telemedicine hub. These telelactation services allow patients to message consultants, typically international board certified lactation consultants, and participate in virtual visits by phone or video conference just from home. This model can offer benefits over in-person care, including increased convenience, eliminated travel costs, and allowing for more timely delivery of services, often within minutes or hours of when the need arises. Now, virtual visits can, of course, be challenging, however, especially for those with inadequate Internet access and limited computer literacy. A recent review of 23 articles from the year 2000 to 2018 evaluated lactation support delivered via phone calls, video conference, Text messaging, mobile apps, and interactive websites. While evidence in the field is limited due to small sample sizes, researchers have found that telelactation services were feasible and associated with user satisfaction. Now there was a study, but it was only of ten mom pairs who use video conferences weekly with a lactation consultant. Now, even though it's a very small number of study participants, one hundred percent of women were comfortable talking about breastfeeding via video conference and found that service to be very helpful. Sound, quality, and connectivity issues were cited as barriers in other reports. Further, in a study of 724 women, those who received weekly telephone support from a lactation consultant were significantly more likely to continue breastfeeding at one and two months postpartum as compared to those with traditional or standard care. Now, as we get to the end of the podcast, we can't leave out the importance of mental health in pregnancy. Many individuals require mental health services while pregnant or postpartum. This could include help for mood disorders, including postpartum depression and anxiety, postpartum psychosis, trauma, and substance use disorders. Some medical centers have started to offer telemedicine mental health services alongside pregnancy care. Now, although the applicability of telemedicine for mental health issues is obviously attractive and sounds reasonable, research to support use of telemedicine for prenatal and postpartum mental health is still in its infancy. A systematic review of only 10 studies showed cognitive behavioral therapy via telemedicine, and this was phone, email, or even apps and websites, overall resulted in improvements in maternal depression, although the quality of evidence did vary. Data from another systematic review of four studies on telemedicine for postpartum mood disorders suggested improvement in symptoms at 3 and 12 months post-intervention. There's still a great need for more data, but the use of telemedicine does provide another avenue to check up on patients' mental well-being rather than having them do in-person visits. Telemedicine has been around for a while, but in pregnancy, it's still somewhat in its adolescence. There is issues with access and policy that have to be addressed, but we've seen the current need to be there, especially in times of mass quarantine and social distancing. A majority of pregnant individuals do not have access to telemedicine services at this time. Only a handful of medical centers have adopted telemedicine into their prenatal care schedules. While more have incorporated telemedicine services for specialist consults like MFMs, lactation consultants, and psychiatric care, utilization overall is still somewhat minimal. Aside from insurance considerations, barriers to initiating a telemedicine program include significant planning time and startup costs, reliable broadband connections both at the side of the provider and the patient. There's HIPAA compliance issues, and integration into the electronic health record can present another nightmare. This can be particularly challenging in low-resource and rural settings. However, efforts are in place by the Federal Communications Commission to increase internet access for use in telehealth for these rural populations. There's also a push, even by the federal government, to expand Medicaid coverage for telemedicine health across medical specialties, including pregnancy. All right, everybody, that wraps up our podcast covering telemedicine for OB prenatal care. It's an area that's about to explode because the need, well, is there. So please stay healthy, everybody. Take care of yourselves in this time of global pandemic. And we hope to see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.